Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Not easy times. But in a dark world, the gospel is light. And so I want you to stand with me as we read the word of God because this is the most important thing we will do today is read from his word. And this is given to us to be light. We do not edit it. We simply echo it. We read it as truth because it is God's truth. It is not death. It is life. All of it. We don't get to take parts out because we don't like it. It is all for us because he is for us. So we come into this moment, into this place. We go to John chapter 17 where Jesus finds himself with his disciples at the very last supper. And he reads these words and John says these words in John. Matter of fact, it's a prayer for you and I. Starting in verse 20, Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Church, there's something on the line here. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' prayer for us in this room today. This is the word of God. And so we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Happy Palm Sunday. Holy week. Lot to celebrate. Lot to lament. We hold both hope and hurt. Most important week in history. We haven't forgotten it. You're like, Commitment Sunday, word Palm Sunday, go, it's here. <laughs> Just bring in a different palm. <laughs> Tied it together. <laughs> On this day, I, I, listen, I have a tension I'm managing right now. Can I just speak it? Yeah. Do you mind? I'm used to a table that's this tall. And so when I'm reading my notes, because I'm pretty tied to them, you want me to be tied to them. When I'm not tied to them, you feel that pain. I know you do. <laughs> and it's about two feet lower right now. And so I'm kind of this, and this is awkward for me. So just, <laughs> so what I'm going to do, <laughs> it, 
was fine for Alex last week? I know, I know. <laughs> Listen, we speak truth in love. Um, let me, uh, I, I did that, I did that to him first service too, but I, I did that to set him up here because I'm going to prop him up pretty big and this just keeps it all level. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, We're in the middle of just being obedient to this vision God's given us, and it's audacious. This is big. This is big for us as a church. Today's big. Um, it, it is Palm Sunday, but it, but it is. I think everything that this week represented is, is seen in this vision, that God loves the lost, the least, and the last, and he wants his kids to act like his kids. And I, ha I had the opportunity to be away for just a bit and I listened to the two messages over the last couple weeks that Alex has shared. And you, you need to understand something. I took the easy three, okay? I did the primary goal, right? Where it was freedom, belonging, and obedience. That was like, and then I said, hey, Alex, I'm not sure how you're gonna tie the rest of this in with the building, all that, but you're, it's yours, I'm out. <laughs> and you, you need, if you have not listened to those messages, hear me. Please go back and listen. And if you have, go back and listen again. Here's what I said to him. I, I texted him probably twice. I mean, I'm bawling because I'm a free crier and I'm okay with it. And I'm texting him and I'm saying, listen, I understand this vision better today because of what you preached. And I live in this thing. And I, you need to understand when you're a pastor of a church and you go away, there's a weight sometimes of, of what's going to happen. I don't have that here. We have some of the, the greatest leaders and staff. And to be able to trust Alex to do that. Um, and, and here's what I said to Natalie. And I want you to hear my heart here. I said, I said to Natalie, we're in the car listening and I'm, I'm crying because it's like, we, he's, he's going through the list of what we do during the week and I'm crying. You only got maybe 50% of what happens here. It's unbelievable. This is an everyday over one day church. We're busting at the seams. We're telling people no, and we want to tell them yes for hope. So we've got to grow bigger tables. But I said to Natalie, I said, I could not have done that near as good as he just did that. And Alex, God has gifted you for such a time, and we're so grateful for you, bro. On this day, thousands of years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem carrying the weight of the world. And, and we know that because it says in Luke chapter 19, starting verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Hey, Christian, and this isn't judgmental because we don't operate in guilt and shame and condemnation here. When was the last time you wept for your city? That's for me. I grew up with a youth pastor who stained the carpet with his tears because he wept over kids that didn't know Jesus. I'm emotional today. Oof. And my eyes are blurry. Hang on. 
as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only, know, had only known that on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. You know what Jesus was telling them? He was predicting ahead of time what was going to happen in 70 AD at the fall of Jerusalem, and it happened exactly like this. You don't, if you don't believe in this Jesus, holy cow. There's nobody in history that predicted his death and resurrection and then pulled it off. That's why Easter is a big deal. That's why, we, that's why we do what we do, Right? The days will come upon when you enemies will build embankments against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. May we recognize God's coming. May we be a people that see it. See, our focus today will be Jesus' final thoughts as he faces the cross. What was on his mind? What was he carrying for us who would be sitting here today? What did he share at the table, the last table that he would sit at before he would die? The last meal he would have with his disciples. But before I do that, I need to take a few moments and I need you to allow me some space to be a pastor and to pastor you for a sec. Church, this vision is so big that the enemy would love to attack it. And the way he's going to attack it is through relationship. It's the way the enemy always attacks. He attacks relationally. He will attack our unity. He will attack our oneness. That's why this, this pit passage we read is so big in reference to this particular vision. But there's something I need you to let me do in this moment because it's really important. And I, I feel the need to protect a bit. And I need you to let me do that. And here's what I want to say about this, where the tension is for me. This is not, and please hear my heart, this is not a power move. This is not an authoritative power over. If you've been with us long enough, you will know that is actually not who we are. We don't, we don't serve with a power over structure. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to learn to be a servant of all. And we believe that, and we have people to hold us accountable to that. And here's what else that it isn't. This is not about pride. This is not coming from a place of pride. I pray that it's coming from a place of humility that you would hear our heart on this and understand what it is that I'm trying to say and want to say to you as a church. That God is about to and already is doing great things through and we pray as a staff almost weekly now, God, keep us humble. Keep us humble. You're doing a crazy amount of things that we can't explain Keep us humble. But I need you to hear from my heart because I feel God is leading to do this. And it's crazy to do this. This doesn't make sense when we're asking you to make a commitment to the church to possibly offend you. And I could do this after we did the commitment and collected all the carts. But that's manipulation. And we refuse through any of this to manipulate you. It's not what it's about. It's not who we are. I want you to hear something and I want you to understand that this is true and we will fight to the edge of hell and back for this truth. We are about who you are becoming. When you sit in this room and you call this church home, whether we know you by name or not, you become part of, part of a family where 
who you are becoming is so important to us. And who we are becoming as Christians is like Jesus. And that becomes so important that your heart and championing it and holding it and loving it and walking with it for good or for bad is at the very top of our agenda because our hearts are at the top of his. That with everything we got. So when we're making decisions as a leadership, you have to understand that. See, you can't get there. You can't get to who God is calling you to be, who you are becoming. You can't get there if every place you go gives you what you think you need or want. You can't. And man, we're really good at putting up, pushing our preferences on churches. It's not who we are. It's not who we need to be. And I want you to hear this. We are not here to make church in your image. We're here to make church in God's. Period. And please understand the heart that this is coming from. As a leadership, as a staff, as a people, we do not carry any pressure to please you. We carry the pressure to please God. Every decision we make we ask the question, does this please God? Whether hard or easy, does this please God? That is the very place that this comes from. You need to understand, and maybe you don't, that over the last five years, this vision hasn't come from a bunch of leaders sitting in a room saying, this is what we're doing. This came from the people of this church when we got a bunch of them together who weren't on staff and who weren't elders and who weren't leaders. And we said, what do you think God is saying about us as a church? And two things came to the forefront in that moment about five years ago. Here they were, institutional renovation. The church has to change because it's not changing anything. We cannot any longer be Sunday morning Christians. Sunday morning Christians change nothing. We can't be a religious people. Institutional renovation. The church has to become the hope that Jesus is to the world. We are the vehicle by which that hope will go. And that vision is being accomplished by the people of this church. I'm telling you, it's amazing what we see God doing. And because we are letting God do a work in us, God is beginning to do a work through us. Can I tell you, in a staff meeting recently, as we were sharing good news, do you know we heard that somebody gave their life to Jesus? Somebody else gave their life to Jesus? In another story, another person gave their life to Jesus? In another story, somebody else gave their life to Jesus? In another story, somebody else gave their life to Jesus? In another story, somebody else gave their life to Jesus? Do you know the sign that we are walking in the way of Jesus is that people will begin to give their life to Jesus because free people do free people? And, and I think what we're connected to most here as a church is that we believe and desire to be and long to be a spirit-led church. We do not want to go anywhere God is not asking us to go. If you want to know why we are who we were through the pandemic that we just walked through the last two years, a spirit-led church that got together as a bunch of leaders and a staff and went to God, not to anyone else, but to God and said, how do you want us to walk through this? We will walk through this the way you want us to, no matter what people say. I've stood up here in the recent weeks and ripped my sermon because God said, don't talk about that, talk about something else. A spirit-led church that desperately desires to do what God wants them to do. Now hear my heart. God is leading us into an everyday over one day future that is more about getting smaller than getting bigger. Yeah. 
It's more about getting smaller than getting bigger. What I am not saying is we're going to stop welcoming people because we don't get too big. That's not what I'm saying. We're going to grow, but we're going to grow right. Not because we do great program on Sunday, but because we actually get in community that makes a difference in our life to where we are transformed by from the inside out, not the outside in. And God begins to do a work and multiply community. Listen, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up here when I say I would rather have more people in community than sitting here on a Sunday morning. I'm not. That's not play. This is real. We only grow in those spaces. We grow best in community. And we prove that we don't grow in this space because when all we have is this, we fall way short. That's why we can't base what we do in here for you based on how you feel about it. Let me take Good Friday because it's coming up. And I know for so many of us, we grew up in a tradition of getting together on Good Friday and continuing to consume religious goods and services that don't change us. Yeah, it's cool. It's honoring of God. But you need to understand, it was born out of the 17th century, not even Jesus' time in the Catholic Church, and in the second half of the 20th century for the Protestant Church. The Good Friday service is, is young. But you know what's really old? Is a bunch of disciples getting together on that Friday around a table with the Savior of the world to hear some final thoughts and grow from within. So three years ago, this will be our fourth year, we decided as a church that we were not going to put on a service where we can continue to do the same thing over and over and see nothing change. But we were going to take that opportunity and challenge the church to get around tables on Good Friday. Before the pandemic, not because of any reason, but God is asking us to do it and that's why we're going to do it. And for the past three years, and this will be our fourth, that's how we spend Good Friday. And past years, we've said, hey, spend a time with a meal and we'll give you a video to watch. And that's consuming too. This time, the video will start at the beginning and say, here's some questions to talk about over the meal. And here's what we want you to kind of focus on. And then the meal is the relationship that happens as we celebrate what Jesus did at a table with his disciples when he shared a meal. Because that's what God is calling us to do. Listen, when you get ready to have a spouse, you don't go shopping for a spouse. Some, some, some of you are like, like kind of did. Can I just say that's not the way to do it? But Because when we're followers of Jesus, we know God has that. And so we pray and believe that God's going to lead us to that. And when God leads us to that, we don't jump into that relationship to change that person. We don't marry them for who they're going to become or who we're going to help them become. We marry them for who they are in that moment, knowing that God has given us gifts and talents and treasures to bring into that relationship to help them become like what? Not like, like we want, no, like Jesus. The church is no different. You don't come to a church. We don't come to a church. God doesn't have you here and he has you here, I promise you. For such a time as this, he doesn't bring you into this space for you to make us who you want us to be. If you've come because of what you can make us into, you're gonna get frustrated because we're, we're not insecure in the vision that God has given us, we're super secure in where God is taking us and he's brought you here because you have time, talent, and treasure that's gonna come alongside what we're doing to make us into what God is calling us to be as his kids in this world. That's why you're here. Matter of fact, just recently we were talking in staff and, and someone shared a story about going through a difficult time and we, what we do when people are going through difficult times, we send cookies. 
As we do, have fun? Just so you know, we're thinking about you, but cookies aren't for everyone. Not everybody eats cookies, right? And the person who got them understood that that was an incredible gesture and felt thought of, but said, hey, could I come and build a team of blessing people and we build a bless me basket that actually can do people some real good and do that not just for those going through something, but for those who are sick and in the hospital and have kids and, and they're building a team because they stepped in and said, here's my, here's my talent, what I would love to do, could I do it? And something new is born out of that. Listen, in the early days of the, of, the, of the Israelite people, Moses went up on the mountain, and so the people led. And when the people led, they built a golden calf. And when people lead in the church today, what we got oftentimes was a golden calf, and that golden calf just happens to be the Sunday morning experience. That as a church, we're saying we love it. It's not less than that, but it is way more. And we will be every day over one day Christians. And if your Christianity is built around a Sunday morning, then we would welcome you into something greater. It's more than this. It's way more than this. It's this. And it's this. And it's this. And that's who we are. And if you, that resonates with you, then jump in. Okay. I love you. I love you. I just want you to hear that from our hearts Today is a big day for this local expression of the church. It's Commitment Sunday. And we're going to commit together to be part of vision that God is leading the church into all over the world. This Give Hope series is about what God wants to do in us because he wants to do something through us. So the primary goal that we've talked about the first three weeks is 100% engagement in God, what God wants to do in us. How many believe God wants to do something in you? It will not stop till you're dead. He wants to do something in you. And we believe that those three things are freedom, belonging and obedience, that that's what he wants to do, that he wants to free us from the inside out and free people will free people. We'll be generous with the freedom that comes out. It's belonging. He invited us to his table and so we need to get the leaves out of our closets and put them in our tables and invite others to belong because he's bringing them. And there's this obedience that comes not because I have to, because I get to. Can you believe it? You get to obey the God of the universe who loves you and died for you? It's crazy, isn't it? And we've been looking at these tables in the life of Jesus and how he invited people to experience these three things in their stories because of the tables that he shared. Freedom, belonging, obedience. And what does it mean that God wants to do something through us by building the foundation? Alex shared this. I'll, I'll quickly recap. Where there is no foundation, there will be no future. And we're building a foundation so that others can have a future. We're building the family that if the foundation is about what God has done and the future is about what God will do, then building the family is about what God is doing right now in our midst and what it looks like for us to continue to live into the future that God has for that family. Because the kind of family that we are will determine the kind of future that we see. It's an and future, not an or future. And so now we're talking about building the future as we close this out what God longs to do through us because of what he's doing in us. And we just believe with all of our heart that when a church becomes a bunch of disciples, that they are a hope center. They're a center of hope where people can come from all over, that those who have hope act like it. That those who need it never apologize, they'll come. And they are. It's unbelievable. And that those who don't think they need hope in the northwest suburbs of Chicago will come along and fight for justice alongside of us and find Jesus in the process. And about half those stories I told you about were people in that camp. Unbelievable, coming along to help, and all of a sudden they're like, what's this about, Jesus? It's about hope. The table we go to is the last supper, the last thing he says before he goes to his death. Listen, when you're dying, you don't make small talk. This isn't small talk. 
everything he's saying. And this happens to be the last piece of what he's saying. When you're dying, you don't make small talk. And you speak what is important to you. Notice in verse 20, Jesus very directly starts to pray for you and me. And at least anyone who professes to be a Christian. I pray also for those who believe in me through their, the disciples currently, message. And in verses 20 through 26, he's saying what he most wants for us. Don't you want to know what Jesus most wants for you? See, what we want most for you is during this Good Friday season for you to grab some people and make a, make a meal and come together and celebrate the goodness of God. Lament together. Be known. If you don't have community, make some. Invite neighbors. If you need help, we'll help you. Go to Community Corner. It's titled that for a reason. Get together. Man, wouldn't it be great if everybody just created a place? You got people you hang out with? Invite them for a meal. Watch what will happen. We will help you in that. So what is that? That all of them may be one. Verse 23, incomplete unity. Don't you want to know what Jesus most wants for you? Don't you? What is it? Why is it important? How do we get there? Real fast. You ready for this? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna fly. I'm gonna fly. I spent a lot of time on the other part, but I wanted you to understand it is important to protect the vision that God's placed in our hearts. So important that we understand who we are as a church. But here we are. Our effectiveness, our effectiveness for what he wants to do through us will be determined by what we allow him to do in us, especially around what he wants most for us. I want you to hear that. I'm gonna say it again. Our effectiveness for what he wants to do through us will be determined by what we allow him to do in us, specifically around what he, want, what he wants most for us, which is that we be what? One. That all of them may be one. Verse 23, incomplete unity. What is he talking about here? All of them may be one. Not just white and black Christians, but all of them. Not just rich and poor Christians, but all of them. Not just the Asian and Hispanic Christians, but all of them. Let's put the emphasis on all. The early church got off the ground because of the quality of its unity and loving community. That's what it took off in. Man, you gotta hear this. This is amazing. Because Christians believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. The world looked at it and was amazed. And one of the things it was amazed by was that Christianity was actually the first multi-ethnic religion. It was the first one because all the other religions of the world were attached to the ethnicities of their day. Christianity is the first one. Because Christians believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, it meant everyone should believe in Jesus, and that brought people together in the Christian faith across racial and class barriers in a way that the world had never seen, and the world needs to start seeing it again. Yeah. And that should be, that still should be what is going on and so alluring and striking when people look at the Christian faith today. They should see us being one. See, in a class-stratified society, a pecking order society, Christianity brings change to that. I feel good about myself when people are below me. That's broken. But yet we actually live like that. That's why Romans 12, 16 says, don't be prideful, but associate with those of low position. Not that there's anybody of low position, but you seem to think there are. So when you put yourself, you'll find out they don't need you, you need them. Because they're going to bring humility to the process for you. This is huge. When that changes and you feel a, a oneness that being a Christian reveals, you begin to realize that God's in you changing you. In a politically driven society where there's right and wrong, this side or that side, 
I listen differently when I'm a Christian to my other brothers and sisters who think differently than me. Not that it changes my affiliation. You realize, though, that there is a bond that is more important than the politics that allows us to just listen differently. We were talking the other day, weren't we, Terrence? And I'm like, hey, I think differently about what you think, and I just want to understand. And we had this incredible dialogue, and I learned because there is a bond between us deeper than anything the two of us believe that is Jesus, that is kingdom, and we get to learn from each other. It's powerful. Ephesians Two says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you have been made alive in Jesus. And every single person who is a real Christian who has been deeply convicted of sin and lostness, and then infinitely affirmed by unconditional love and grace of God through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, if you've been through life and death like that, that I just described, if you've been through life and death like that, it doesn't matter about the race. It doesn't matter about the class. It doesn't matter about the politics. It doesn't matter. It will keep us from getting into the places that God is calling us to go as a church. And so it's got to go because oneness has to be the thing we want most because that's what Jesus wants most. The gospel cuts through all of it because it changes your identity. It changes the very things in your heart, the things that looked really important to you in the past and part of your self-worth no longer are important because Jesus is in you. And your importance is coming from him, not anything else. So not only are you able to relate to Christians of different races and classes and politics, but you can relate to everyone better. The first part of what Jesus is talking about is this thing at the heart of the gospel that brings people together who otherwise could have never been brought together. That's what the gospel does. The gospel changes the narrative in a way that now we can talk. And they're going to look at us as Christians and realize, wow, you do this differently than we do. The problem is we don't. <laughs> we cancel each other. Listen, young people, I'm not going to pick on you, but I'm going to pick on you. If you're 40 or over, raise your hand. Some of you are like, whoa, I got in under the, <laughs> 39-year-olds are going, whoo! <laughs> Put them up again. For those of you with your hands up, will you forgive us that we haven't pursued you to understand who you are in Jesus and how you got there? Listen, younger generation, don't silence the adults, but surround yourself with them. And adults, don't push them away, but pour out. That was, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> what does it mean to be one and what does loving community look like? Well, here's a few. One is sharing possessions. To be one is to share possessions. Acts 4, no one treated their possessions as their own. Did you get that? There was this drastic open-handedness. What would happen if we became a church like that? where we had this open-handedness. They were one in sharing their possessions, one in sharing their problems. Oh man, I feel, like, I feel like we're stumbling all over this one these days in a really good way. Where we're saying, this is gonna be a messy church and we're good if you have problems because so do we. How many have problems in this room? Woo! So do we. And the longer you hide them, the longer they'll destroy you. 
And so we share the problem. Galatians says, bear one another's burdens. It's the gospel that frees us. Our world isn't free. Don't look at the world and envy it. It's in bondage. There's only freedom in Jesus. The gospel doesn't just change your attitude towards what you have, but also what you don't have, what you're lacking, so you can admit that you're in need, and you can say, I'm in trouble. I need help. If most of us are addicted, the very first thing we need to admit is our need for help. That we cannot do it by ourselves. To stop hiding, one in sharing possessions, one in sharing problems, one in sharing truth. Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. That's the operating principle of the real Christian community. Speak the truth in love. We're so afraid of it. But the sins hurting you the most are the ones that you can't see. You can't see them. They're destroying you. And if you are ever going to grow, you need someone to tell you about them. They need to look at you and say, I see them. And you go, no, that changes the narrative in my head. Go on, let it. Because if they love Jesus and they're coming with courage because it's hard. And if you see someone who's hard, it's really hard to come to you. It must mean they love you a lot. And if they love you a lot, they're not going to be the person that's just going to call you out and then run out the door and say, forget you. One in sharing possessions, problems, truth. Lastly, one in sharing failure. Gosh, I, I. look at Paul. He killed Christians. And the people who were serving Paul in the day that he was transformed are the very ones whose relatives were probably killed by him. He was a failure, and yet how did they respond to that? Look at Peter. Christian community can actually incorporate failure and turn it into wisdom. Wouldn't that be different than the world that we live in? Listen, the guys and leaders that are failing around us aren't failing because one day they woke up and failed. We created the culture that allowed them to hide and caused them to not be able to be honest so that when they failed, they ran like Saul and blamed others. When we need to foster a culture like David's who when they're confronted say, I am a sinner because there is a space where they can do it and you don't judge them. I'm not mad. I'm, I'm kind of frustrated. These men fall off the pedestals we put them on. These women fall off the pedestals we put them on. I'm not justifying their behavior. I'm just saying, can we own ours? And then when somebody fails, can we come alongside of them? We reconcile, we heal, we incorporate. See, these are all ways that Jesus is saying we must be one. One in cultural barriers. We're not going to let the culture dictate to us what we can talk about with each other and come to conclusion on. Ah, okay. Whew. Why is this so important? I'm going to do this one and then we're done. Because I think you get it. Unless the, the world sees a hard to explain, compelling, loving community. Can you, can you hear that? Unless they see a hard to explain. I, I don't get you guys. Unless the Christian community is that strong. The world won't believe the truth claims that we make, and we make some crazy ones. That Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to the earth, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose from the dead, that He's coming back again, like from the clouds. That's some crazy claims that we make, but Jesus is saying they aren't going to believe your claims, any of them, unless they see behind it a, a community of incredibly crazy love for each other. They're just not going to believe it, because you don't. Jesus said, you'll know they're my disciples by what? Their love for each other. 
We need to be eloquent, yes. We need to articulate. We need to argue, open our mouths. But they will not hear us unless it's backed up by community, loving, transforming community. Period. There's, there's, there's a negative and positive, and we'll close with this. Here's a negative. The honor of Jesus' name is connected to the quality of our community. Do you know any churches like this that have gossip, insensitivity, negative criticism, jealousy, backbiting, an unforgiving spirit, failure to welcome people of other races and classes, cliquishness, coldness, greed, and selfishness? Of course you know. That's almost every church, isn't it? You know the churches like that. Do you know what you're doing when you participate in that? When we participate in that, you want to know what you're doing? You're making Jesus look ugly to the world. You're not just engaging in gossip and criticism and jealousy and backbiting, da 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 But Jesus is actually giving the world the right to reject the gospel if it's not backed up with a loving community that is different than the way other human communities work in the world. So when we engage in these things, we're making Jesus look ugly to the world. <laughs> Forgive us, God. But you know what positive, the positive piece of this? It must be possible <laughs> to have this community or Jesus wouldn't be saying this, this oneness that the world can look at and say, wow, what's going on there? That's pretty crazy. It must be possible in the gospel and in Christ to have the community that you just heard about. It doesn't make you want to be part of that kind of community. If Jesus is calling us to it, then it must be possible. Oh, I want that. I want that for you. Because it will be about who you're becoming, won't it? I really do. At all costs. Well, how do we get it? I think um, Jesus made it clear. Then the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God loves you as much as he loves his son. When you step into a relationship with Jesus, here's what you need to understand. To the degree you believe, you will be capable of a whole new way of relating to other people. Just a whole new way. And here's why. You're saved the minute you and I accept Jesus because of what Jesus has done. And at that moment, all that wealth and righteousness and God looks at you and loves you as if you had done everything Jesus had done. You're saying, I cannot get my mind around that. You better start. Because that is the journey of becoming one. Is to understand it in the deepest of ways every day. And you know what? Typically, it comes through the hardest of moments. Because it's in the humbling. It's in the humbling. It's getting the self-righteousness out. Romans 12, 16. See, this is the vision, church. This vision is possible because it's the culmination of what Jesus prayed around the last table when he sat with his disciples. Make them one. That's what he's doing in us. God has freed us and we want freedom for others. That's what Christians think who love Jesus. He's freed me. I want, him to, I want to see him free others. God's invited us in. I want to invite others. I want to grow the table. You know what that looks like? See, I actually think if you have Sunday morning Christians and religious people and volunteers, you have a hope center that you always struggle to get volunteers for. But your heart's right. But when you have disciples who long to be one because they understand who God is in them, you are a hope center. We'll get back to what we were supposed to be doing and that's loving the world instead of building great services, great programs. 
We'll get back to meeting the needs of the lost, the least, and the last. We'll get back to becoming who God created us to be. Because it won't be about us, it'll be about him. And that's what this is about. This building, the future, this yellow house over here, oh man. We close June 1st. That's going to be Hope Center headquarters. It's going to be incredible. going to put a stake in the ground and say Hope Center. Matter of fact, you can go to thehopecenter.com. We have a website now. Of all the things happening. We also are a 501c3. This Hope Center has a board. But listen, just because there is a Hope Center board doesn't mean we have a Hope Center. We are one. We are becoming. That is this vision that God is doing. When free people get free, then they go free. People. That's what God is doing. That's mission. You can't be a Christian and not be on mission. God is doing in you, he will do through you. That's the big deal. And by the way, you're gonna start seeing things around here change because we wanna be and, not or. This place is gonna be more packed during the week until we have to build something, which is a goal, right? Alex talked about that. But we're also not gonna stop here. Jesus said Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. That's Haiti, that's Brazil, that's, that's in Tennessee, that's up in Wisconsin, that's in Pine Ridge, that's in all these places where we can come alongside of things that are already happening and help them do what God is calling them to do. That's what this is about. It's bigger than us, it's audacious, and only God can do it. Only God can do it. And so I'm going to invite you to watch this quick video of how God has been working in the hearts of others. To, to us, this commitment means that other people are finding a home, a home where they can feel valued, where they belong, and where they can come and connect knowing that they are seen, loved, and chosen by other people that love them and our Heavenly Father as well. We made this commitment tonight because we... Um, follow Jesus and, and we hear clearly his vision for this church um, and we can't say no. It was a faith move. It was a total trust him. He's got this. This church uh, truly lives out not to us but to his name be the glory. It's all for God's glory, and hope overflows from here. It's contagious, and I'm just really excited to be a part of it. Uh, this commitment that we have uh, made tonight means a lot to us. It means that uh, we want to serve and give back, and uh, that we really enjoy it because this is a place where God shows up, and uh, it's His kingdom over everything, and we want to be part of something bigger than us, and that's why we want to uh, commit what we committed, and follow through with that and hopefully uh, impact someone else's life with our time, talent, and treasure. We are on board, we are excited, and we can't wait to see how God will use what we have all put forward. I think the biggest thing is, is a legacy. We've been here for 29 years. We've, been, we've seen this church grow from a tiny little church to uh, a bigger church building-wise, people-wise, and most importantly in our lives, the Lord has grown us here. So we want hope for others to be able to grow, and so that's why we give. We really feel privileged to be a part of it. When we first heard about this happening, um, it wasn't a question of were we gonna do it or not, it was just like, 
how deep can we go? And so we really did dig deep. But now we're like, I hope we can do more. So we're praying that we can be a part of this even further than we are. You know, God's just been so good to us. And this is not about money. It's about um, him just doing miracles in our lives and in the lives of the community, people in the community. We've been blessed uh, for our entire lives. I can't believe how God has been so faithful to us. So uh, we just want to be faithful back to him and give to something uh, that is so much bigger than us. And uh, we feel compelled. It's not, uh, it, it is a, it's being compelled by God to do what is what is the right thing and it's a blessing. Commitment to us means that we are trusting God in his plan and that we are invited to be a part of what he has in store for all of us and how he can use us. Quite simply, it's trust. It's trusting him to provide for us. It's trusting him to provide for his mission. Uh, we're so excited to uh, share in the commitment night. Uh, We've just, we have been so blessed by God over the years and we're just so excited to give back. We love what he's doing in, in giving hope to people who don't have hope and uh, it's just such a blessing for us to participate in that. So we're, we're excited where this is going and uh, we know God's hands are all over it and we're just excited to be part of it. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.